0: What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Plan for today is we've got Arkansas coach Sam Pittman coming on. A little peel behind the onion here. Um, one of the things that I do before I start every interview is I'll ask the person I'm interviewing if they have like a specific time that they want to get out the door by because... The people that we talk to, they're busy, and as long as it isn't one of those like 15-minute time slots with a promo that ends up being more like nine minutes because the PR person calls me late, that's how it always happens, I like to get a good idea of how much time the specific people I have, so I try to be respectful of that. With Pittman, I get on the call and I ask him, I'm like, hey, do you have a specific time that you need to get out by? And he goes, nah. So we got about 40 minutes with Pittman, and I don't say this lightly, but it it truly was one of my favorite conversations I've had since I've been able to do this job, and I think everybody's really, really going to enjoy it. Um, I've also got some things that I want to dig into that's related to Bryce Young and the SEC's really wild trend with five-star quarterbacks in the last decade, plus I have a long overdue apology for Ole Miss fans. And then we're going to end with SEC coaches as guys at the gym and figuring it out. But before we do all of that, today's podcast is brought to you by Saturday Down South's newest podcast, College Football Uncensored. It is Marler with Tyler Huck who many of you have heard on Winning and Boozing before. If you haven't yet, go subscribe to their podcast. It's year-round college football stuff, but they're also getting into other things like ranking goat fat athletes, the most hated athletes in sports, and much, much more. You get to hear actual curse words too. No bleep button needed from Will. Will, is, is that nice? No bleep button needed from you?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. They just kind of let it fly, you know?
0: It's a cool thing that we're, we're getting to do because for the last few years, it's just been one podcast that we've done on Saturday and on South. But now, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Marlo and I are do, doing a sort of divide and conquer thing because we know that our audience has different interests and tastes. So we want to be able to cover all of it. Again, go to wherever you subscribe to podcasts and search for College Football Uncensored. Okay. Will, you pointed me in the direction of this nugget that came out. And by now, I'm guessing a lot of people have seen it. It, it made the rounds. John Middlecoff tweeted this tidbit from an Albert Breer column, and it read One team asked Devontae Smith point blank Tua or Jones, being Mac Jones. The question was barely finished before Smith answered Mac Jones. He was bold and definitive about it as I heard it. Okay, Will, as someone who wasn't necessarily sold on the, Tua as a prospect, at least I, I feel comfortable saying that. We talked about this a little bit before. What was your takeaway reading that comment?
1: I'm interested. I think it's tough to say because Tua's numbers were really good. He had some moments in big games. I feel like, and the Dolphins also really just misused him. I mean, the way that this season went was just so... Even someone who was low on him, I mean, him getting benched for Fit- Fitz Magic was just like, what? That uh, just seemed like it was just a negative season for him. But, yeah, no, I, I it's hard to tell with Mac Jones, too. It's like, this is going to be a really great thing that we as SEC fans get to watch because we really just don't know at this point. And, you know, Devontae Smith got to play with both. So, yeah, I think that that's – I mean, would you call that an unbiased opinion?
0: I would say, yeah. And, and I don't really <sighs> – I don't really read too much into quotes that come out during the pre-draft process. And I actually, I don't think it's worth reading too far into because in the society that we live in, it's seen as this slight tatua instead of a hat tip to Mac Jones, who, by the way, just helped Devontae Smith become the first receiver to win the Heisman Trophy this century. in this century. like Imagine putting up those numbers and Smith turning around and just being like, "Nah, the other guy's better. The other guy who i didn't win the heisman trophy with is better but that's that's sort of beside the point that i that i want to get to today what's wild to me is that so many people are already out on tua like the five-star guy who delivered one of the most clutch performances in the sports history as a true freshman and then put together one of the best two-year stretches we've ever seen in college football until he had that serious hip injury But less than a year removed from that he struggled as a rookie on a team like you said without dudes who could really like stretch the field that team i didn't think was built right for him and i know there's a lot of talk about him not seeing guys being college open and how that's been a problem for him whatever two is involved in all these trade rumors like he was another josh rosen well did you see this other stat that came out i'm I'm guessing you did you follow the nfl a little bit more close than, than i do but After Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, and Carson Wentz were all dealt this offseason, that meant that not a single first-round quarterback drafted from 2009 to 2016 is still on their original roster. So why do I bring this up? It's not just that Tua could apparently join that club of traded first-round quarterbacks, albeit in a different time stretch. It's because there's something extremely similar in the SEC that played out in the 2010s. So in the 2010s, The SEC signed 10 five star quarterbacks. That's 10 five star quarterbacks. Will, I want you to guess how many of them transferred.
1: You said 10. 10. Okay, I'm not going to go through the list. Now, this was back in like the old school football days, the beginning of that. Not old school, but you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't like it is now. So it was really frowned upon. I'm still going to say, let me go five.
0: Eight. Wow. Eight eight of the 10 five-star quarterbacks that signed with SEC schools transferred. The only ones who didn't, you know them, Tua Bo Nix. Tua is the only five-star quarterback who signed with an SEC school in the 2010s and stayed at that school and won an all-conference honor. Bo Nix is apparently going to be the guy unless Brian Harson signs a grad transfer I've seen 2 years of Knicks and let's just say I'm not really optimistic about 2021. Even Brandon Marcello wrote that Auburn was a likely destination for Oregon transfer Tyler Shuck, but he ultimately committed to Texas Tech still. The fact that he was a possible uh, a possible transfer target for Auburn tells you all you need to know about that situation there. Here's that list of those 8 five-star quarterbacks from the SEC who transferred during the 2010s, and I'm not going back to 2009 with your boy Russell Shepard not doing oh, that. God. Not we doing that. You know I was actually looking back at some of his stuff because we were talking about him a little bit. He just misses the cut. He only compete. He only completed fifty five percent of his passes as a high school senior. So like, I get it. Five star quarterback recruit, but there was a lot of talk about him switching positions. At least from from what it seemed like. Does that make you feel better as an LSU fan?
1: We started Andrew Hatch, Connor. <laughs> 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 I like I feel like I feel like you'd be better than Andrew Hatch. I don't know what to say about that man. <laughs>
0: Well, you're hanging in there. You're hanging in there. All right, let's start with 2010. 2010. Phillip Sims, Alabama. He transferred after his sophomore year when A.J. McCarron won the job. 2011. Florida, Jeff Driscoll. He transferred actually after year four at Florida. Shout out to Oviedo because that's where he's from, my neck of the woods here. He's actually the exception because he transferred after year four. I I always think about this with Jeff Driscoll. Quick sidebar. Imagine committing to Urban Meyer because that's that's who he verbally committed to back in the day. And then Will Muschamp takes over. Like it's different then because that was a decade ago, but knowing what we know now, that's essentially like the Illinois-Nebraska cancellation. Why am I bringing up Illinois-Nebraska? Because Illinois-Nebraska were set to play in Dublin to kick off the 2021 season. And then they're like, nah, we can't do that because we still can't travel to Europe. So we're going to play instead in Champaign-Urbana. Anybody that's ever been to Champaign-Urbana knows that it doesn't hold a candle to Dublin-Ireland. That's just an absolute travesty. So yeah, that's my Urban Meyer-Will Mus- Muschamp comp there. But let's move along here. 2014, Kyle Allen, Texas AM. He transferred after his sophomore year. He's a really unique case because he was leading the SEC in passing efficiency. Then he has two bad games and he's gone. Who is the guy who replaced him? 2015 signee Kyler Murray, also at Texas A&M. He transferred after his freshman year and he was said to be the guy, which is kind of also the exception compared to the rule for a lot of these quarterbacks on here. Two five-star quarterbacks transferring in the same week was the beginning of the end for Kevin Sumlin. That much we knew. Um, Easy to look back and be able to connect the dots there. Apparently, Kyler Murray said that he couldn't trust Kevin Sumlin, that he had promised both he and Kyle Allen playing time, and he's like, no, I got to get out of here. That same cycle, 2015, Blake Barnett, Alabama. He transferred, of course, at the start of his sophomore year after Jalen Hurts won that job. He announced he was gone in September of his sophomore year. 2016, five-star quarterbacks in the SEC, Shea Patterson. He also transfers after his sophomore year. Hugh Freeze was fired after his freshman year, and then he got hurt during that sophomore year without Hugh Freeze. and Jordan Tamu steps in. There are a lot of there's a lot of people that say, "Oh, he wouldn't have started anyways because Jordan Tamu." Whatever. He goes to Michigan. He's gone. Jacob Eason, of course, very well documented. Something we've talked about on this podcast before. He transfers after his sophomore year at Georgia because he got hurt. Jake Fromm steps in, and you know the rest is history. They go to a national championship in 2017. Speaking of Georgia. Obviously, Justin Fields, twenty eighteen signing. He transferred after his freshman year because Jacob Fromm, Jake Fromm, had a really, really good twenty eighteen. And there's also the whole thing about like Kirby messing up his usage, and Justin Fields clearly wasn't happy. Whatever the case, transferred. No two situations are the same. Like, look, injuries happen. Sometimes it's just a, a talented quarterback that, you know, you're not going to be able to start over and that guy can't get the start even though he might have been the higher rated recruit, whatever. Don't give me all this crap, though, about kids not wanting to battle. <laughs> I, I hate it when I see that. I hate it when I see it all the time. And I don't, I like Joel Klatt, but he comes out with this all the time. Look, when three of the last number one picks, the th- the last three number one picks, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, and you got, and then who am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, you got, uh, no, not, yeah, you got Baker Mayfield. Right, right. Perfect. Number one overall picks, all three of those quarterbacks transfer. So that doesn't exactly bode well for this whole, like you should stick it out and not transfer thing when you're a quarterback. Sometimes the fan base turns on a kid. I'm not going to go and echo what Charles Barkley said. The quote about SEC fan bases being the worst in the history of civilization, a little bit much. I actually think that the five-star quarterback often gets the benefit of the doubt internally. And I think we in the outside world love to pick them apart. That's what we do with quarterbacks like Tua. Even Cam Newton, guy wins the Heisman Trophy, he wins a national title, he's number one overall pick, he wins an MVP, guy plays for a Super Bowl, and he still gets heckled by you know middle school kids at camp, whatever. The expectations are just so high for these five-star guys. Driscoll was gonna be a bust if he wasn't the next Tebow. You could probably say the same with Kyle Allen and Johnny Manziel, or maybe you could talk about that with Murray if he had stayed at Texas A&M. And it's not just an SEC thing. 12 of the 21 five-star quarterbacks in the 2010s, 12 of the 21, they transferred. It's 57%. And maybe it's because roughly 35 guys in a given class are five-star. That's just all position. And then there's like 300 guys who are four-stars. So it's easier for us to keep our expectations lower for those four-star guys. But what we often fail to realize Is that even in this era where there's more camps, there's more recruiting, scouting, and the lead 11 stuff, all that, there are just so many things that still have to go right for a five-star quarterback. Does he get billed as the savior and thrown into the fire too early? Does he have an offensive line that's worth a crap? Does he stay healthy? Does he get to play in the right system? Coaching changes impact this too. Rarely is it the Kyler Murray thing where that guy's going to come back and he's going to play. There are situations like Jacob Eason and Shea Patterson and Jeff Friscoll. They all committed to different head coaches, at least compared to who was there at the time of the transfer. Bryce Young doesn't have a new coach. Still got Saban. That's the good news for him. But he does have a new coordinator. And it's no secret that Steve Sarkeesian was a huge reason why he went to Alabama in the first place. And now, of course, he's gone. Look, I, I, I'm optimistic about Bill O'Brien. And, and I think that with him being in the situation that he's in now where he's not the GM of Alabama... His job is going to be to call plays. He's not being asked to develop an offensive line around Deshaun Watson. Nobody's going to put him in charge of juggling a million things. Deshaun did have success with him. Let's let's not totally dismiss that. There are concepts that Bill O'Brien's going to be able to draw up where you're like, hey, was that Sarkeesian or was that Bill O'Brien? I feel really confident in saying that. I still don't know, though, if it's going to work. Nobody would have said two years ago that Steve Sarkeesian and Mac Jones are going to lead the best offense in Alabama history. Nobody would have said that. Bryce Young is following two of the most prolific quarterbacks in Alabama history. You could argue that they're the two best. If he succeeds at Alabama, he's going to be like two them. He would essentially be the second five-star quarterback to sign with and finish at the same SEC school in the last decade, who actually had a ton of success. I, I bring this up because I don't think that there is such a thing anymore as a can't-miss quarterback. That's what those numbers show you. Bryce Young is the third highest-rated recruit in Alabama history. Third highest rated recruit ever. He's higher rated than Julio. It's crazy to think about that. But at the same time, would I bet the farm on him becoming a star? Probably not. Because if he succeeds, he'll actually be the exception, not the rule. There are any number of things that can prevent Bryce Young from succeeding. And I hope he does. I really hope he does because he's talented and he's based on a limited sample size. It's been fun to watch so far. And I hope that he gets full reigns of that offense. But whether you're a five star quarterback or a first round quarterback, You're not above all of those factors working against you. Okay. Will, when was the last time that you wrote an apology letter? Like just a good old fashioned, look, I beefed up. I need to to make this right. I'm going to write you an apology letter. Handwritten apology letter.
1: Oh, handwritten? Certainly never. Never? Well, maybe to my mom when I was like eight. Let me take that back.
0: Okay. So this is going to be like that. This, just treat this like this is Will's mom, and I'm the eight year old writing that apology because I feel the need to do that. I feel the need to do that because I owe Ole Miss fans an apology. I thought I'd pen a little letter to, to explain myself. So here we go Dear Ole Miss fans, I write this letter to you in hopes that you forgive me for the error of my ways. You see, once upon a time, I labeled your program Ole Miss. In my defense, I was frustrated. I watched the way that things played out with the firing of Matt Luke, and I fell victim to a snarky, lazy pun. Baffled I was that Keith Carter, who had just been hired as athletic director and gave Matt Luke a vote of confidence out two weeks earlier, then turned around and fired Matt Luke. Sure, there was the fake dog peace celebration scene around the world and the ensuing Egg Bowl loss. Missing a bowl game that year, it hurt, but I banged the drum for more of the 2019 version of Ole Miss. I wanted heavy doses of the Rich Rod-John rice Plumley combination injected into my veins. I wanted Luke, who stepped in admirably and kept that ship afloat in the wake of the Hugh Free scandal, I wanted him to get another year. Rarely do I make the case for a 4-8 coach, but I thought that Luke deserved better after keeping guys like DK Metcalf and AJ Brown in Oxford. So when Luke was fired and there was reportedly a mass exodus of angry Ole Miss players set to leave... I wrote some things out of anger. I did. For example, I wrote that who knows how much Ole Miss will be able to spend on a coach and the list of coaches who want to come to the SEC West to face Nick Saban, Ed Ocheron, Jimbo Fisher, and Gus Malzahn probably isn't as long as some fans think. I scoffed at the bevy of you Ole Miss fans who wanted to hit the open market for the first time in eight years and to do so without any looming cloud hanging over the program. Well, that brings us to today. It's roughly, I don't know, like 15 months removed from that. And I'd like to apologize. What I failed to see was the sunshine hidden beneath the clouds or the rainbow after the storm, whatever you want to call it. I failed to see the beacon of light that was link given. That sort of hit me as I realized in in the wake of this, uh, this news that came out about your offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, uh, the wake of the news about him staying in Oxford, for another year not taking the UCF job, I, I had this moment where I just had to take a step back. His presence was one that I came to appreciate during his first year. The same could be said for your administration, Ole Miss fans. They agreed to give him a casual 71% raise after one year on the job. What you now have as an as Ole Miss fans is exactly what you could have hoped for during that bizarre final year of Luke. Not only do you have someone in Kiffin who willingly signed up to take on the SEC West, but you have a long offseason to get excited about this 2021 team. You get to think about the possibility of Matt Corral entering year two in this system and returning as the league's top quarterback, in my opinion. You get to think about the combination of Jaron Ely and Snoop Connor with four starting offensive linemen returning from the SEC's top rushing attack. You even get to think about John Rice Plumley and the possibilities. Oh, John Rice Plumley. How I wish I had an NCAA video game wherein there was a player in your likeness whom I could win several Heismans with. May the football gods look down upon you and bless you with the full arsenal of drunken Kiffin goodness to make your impact significant and your touches plentiful. Cherish him, Ole Miss fans. Also, cherish your newest signee, Taiwan Malone, who, like Plumlee and Ely, plays baseball and football. But, of course, he's doing so at 6'4", 300 pounds. No big deal. Just 50 pounds bigger than Frank Thomas and hitting bombs the same way. Malone was another reason why I felt the need to apologize. I assumed that Matt Luke was at the forefront of something unique in today's era of big-time college football. That is accommodating both Ely and Plumley in their desire to play both football and baseball. Little did I know that Kiffen would then step in and team up with the Ole Miss Baseball Program and get dozens of people on Zoom calls to sign Malone. But that's what he did. And hey, it worked. Kiffin signed his highest-rated recruit yet. What Kiffin has done in a year's time is instantly elevate the ceiling of a program who I told to shut up and accept being a frisky 4-18. It'd be a disservice to call Ole Miss frisky in 2021. This is now a team who could very well boast the league's top offense and if it can maybe just flirt with mediocrity on defense. Like it did at times down the stretch. Fun times are ahead in Oxford. Like a different kind of fun than pounding a few pickle martinis and hitting square. Ole Miss fans, I ask that you not use my naive words against me. You knew you could do better. All of us could acknowledge that while appreciating the job Matt Luke did. Forgive me for not looking into the crystal ball and seeing visions of Kiffin leading a program that deserves to start in the top 25 in year two. I was wrong, and you were right. My only hope is that you welcome me all aboard the lane train. And please, whatever you do, don't tell Landshark Tony I ever said anything bad about Ole Miss. Sincerely, Connor. Let's go to my interview with Sam Pittman. Again, if you weren't a fan of him before, maybe you didn't know too much about him yet, just one year as an SEC head coach, I think that you're going to really have a new impression of him after listening to this. Also, at the very end of this, stay till the very end, he dunked on me harder than any person I've ever interviewed. I'm, I'm very, very confident in that. I definitely said like right after that happened, we need to get a clip of this. So, Will, we will definitely make sure that we do that. So, here is Sam Pittman. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Arkansas coach Sam Pittman. Sam, I've got to start with something you said a couple of weeks ago. Now, you're, you're obviously someone who loves recruiting. You said February signing day was like Christmas. So does that mean that you have these like post-Christmas blues? Because I don't think I've ever seen you in a <laughs> funk before.
2: <laughs> well... I just meant we had already signed everybody we could sign in the early sighting days. So no stress, no worrying. We had already been, uh, you know, a solid month and obviously uh, further than that even. But a solid month of recruiting 2022s. And we came to work, there was no drama. And that's, that's always good. So that's what I meant by that.
0: Presents are already under the tree. I got you. I got you. Um, I first I remember listening to the hog pod right after you got hired and you talked about how you wanted to retire in Arkansas. Like you love hot springs. You've got a house there. This is your last job, which I know that gets thrown around a lot in today's day and age. But I think it's really different to hear that from a coach who just got this opportunity as a head coach after three decades as an assistant. How, How unique has it been to be able to look recruits and players in the eye and say that?
2: Well, obviously, I'm in it, and I mean it, and I'm not going to ever use, uh, if I'm fortunate enough that somebody else thinks I'm good enough to hire, I'll never use that against the university. I, you know, I believe that I've got the best job in the country. I, I truly do. Uh, it's really unique because, uh, you know, I think when you build something and you know that this is it for you and, and you want to, you know, you'd obviously like to make the people proud and happy and you know, I'm going to live in the state. And so I don't, you know, I kind of like it when people come up to me and say nice things versus if they say negative. So I, I'd kind of like to, uh, leave a a nice legacy here and, and win a lot of ball games. And, and because of the simple fact that that's who I am and that's what the people deserve, but really it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life, either here in Fayetteville or hot springs or both. So, uh, I want to I want to be uh, uh, a nice figure in the state of Arkansas for the people to to uh, come around and visit with.
0: I would say that there's just no way that you slept during that month and a half after you got the job and you did all that heavy lifting to sign that first class and somehow you finish in the top 30 of the rankings. Which I know rankings aren't everything, but that just was such a testament to how much you worked. On average, how many hours per night were you sleeping during that stretch?
2: Uh, um, probably somewhere between, uh, four and six, I'd say, you know, uh, we got up really early and then, you know, a lot of times you'd stay on the phone, you know, till midnight, not, not often, but, but several nights, just somebody would want to call and have a question. You know, the kids stay up a lot late, a lot later than the, than the older folks nowadays. And of course we get up quite a bit earlier as well, but Day started out. Day started out quite fast, early, and uh, ended up late, and probably four to six hours.
0: I mean, is that Red Bull? Is that coffee? What's What's Sam Pittman drinking to be able to stay up as late as the kids?
2: No, I I uh I don't drink either one of those, but I do drink <laughs> too much Diet Mountain Dew, you know. Uh, but I, I I I do get up and have a Diet Mountain Dew in the morning, and kind of gets me going a little bit.
0: All right. That, that, no coffee, though. That's that's a surprise to hear from you because I think people see your energy and they assume you're like a four or five cup guy with Diamond Mountain Dew. All right. You've spent so much time on the recruiting trail over, over the years. And I, I got to imagine you have at least one story that sticks out. And just so that we don't have to go down that road because there are people listening to this probably hoping that I ask, but we're not going to dig into any stories about a certain recruit's dad allegedly losing part of a finger, subject of a pending lawsuit. We're not going down that road. What, what's... What's perhaps your, what's your favorite recruiting story ever?
2: Oh, you know, we were, we were in a man's house, and uh, the, uh, such a kind uh, uh, family, and, and uh, the uh, sandwiches were pretty gristly, and uh, I was with John Blake, rest his soul, we were driving down the road and they'd they'd pack some sandwiches for us and things and we were driving down the road and we stopped about thirty minutes out of the out of out of town and Blake hit his I was driving Blake hit his window real hard and I, I looked over and I said what was that and he said it's some damn buzzards bringing them sandwiches back we threw out <laughs> I started laughing and. <laughs> and uh, John Blake was a wonderful guy to go out recruiting with. And I remember we would go recruiting with Rick Minner and, you know, you had to stay in the same room. You know, we was trying to save a little money, I guess, at Cincinnati at the time. And I went on trips with Rex Ryan and, you know, he's a twin. So, you know, you always had to stay in the same room with him and, you know he'd give you the remote control that was his way of saying thank you because you you know you're laying in there on two queen queens next to each other but just so many fond memories and really about the great people that we met and great families that we met and you know i got to travel and see the you know the united states that you know i'm a small 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 town kid from oklahoma grew up over in in uh, western Oklahoma and Canton and Latonga and Gary and then moved out to Grove but I hadn't really been many places in my life and it was an opportunity to go see the United States and then just recruiting's fun because you get to meet people and, and obviously um, that's what it's all about anyway.
0: I mean you and Rex Ryan step into like any place in town and people know that it, all right like this is this is something and maybe before this being like the point where Rex Ryan gets recognized everywhere he goes, but what was it like to, to travel with with a guy like that that just had such a big personality?
2: Uh, he was, uh, he still is one of the kindest, generous people I know. And, and also one of the funniest, uh, but uh, also one of the smartest football coaches that I've ever been around. But I remember picking him up. We got a job at Oklahoma and I remember picking him up when we were, headed out for uh, a week uh, on the road recruiting. Uh, he and I were going to be together for that week. And he came with two sweat suit outfits and a Walmart bag of underwear, toothpaste, toothpaste, and toothbrush. And that was his, that was his weekly, we're going to go out and sign a bunch of guys. And we, by the way, we did, but, but, uh, you know, that's just how he rolled and, and he was always just himself. And, um, uh, I learned a lot from him just in the recruiting by just be you. And if they like it, then, you know, they're going to really like you. And if they don't, you probably weren't going to get him in the first place. So just be you and and be sincere and be funny when when the opportunity. But learned a lot from Rex. And and, uh, certainly he's uh, obviously had a great coaching career and, and has a great family.
0: A lot of people probably assume that you were going to be an assistant for your entire career and I imagine at some point you had maybe accepted a scenario in which you weren't ever going to become a head coach. Is there was there a point in your career where you kind of said, "You know what? I'm I'm cool doing this. This is this is all right. I I like what I do and I I'm content kind of in this role." Obviously things change, but was there a moment when you thought that was going to be your future?
2: Absolutely. And I and I think I came to uh a realization when I was at Georgia. Uh however, I never did feel well, who was me, uh, you know, heck I was an old line coach at, at Georgia and I had trust me, I had plenty on my plate and uh but I did come to that re- realization that it's probably not going to happen. I was 55, 56, 57, uh 58 there at uh at Georgia and and uh, but I do remember, you know, I interviewed for this job and I didn't feel like I was going to get it. It was we'd just gotten beat by LSU, and I I get up the next morning and uh, uh, get ready to go in and grade the tape after we'd lost the SEC championship game. And I remember telling my wife, I said, you know, we we really ought to pray here and, and thank the Lord for what he, all He's given us. You know, I I went to sleep that night um, uh, really distraught because I you know we lost the championship game. I wasn't uh, involved i didn't feel like in the arkansas job and but i said you know we ought to be thankful for what we have there's a lot of people in the world that would love to have the opportunities that we had and i did and i was and we did and i was very at peace going to work um that day uh you know i'm not going to be able to be a head coach but i still can influence the lives of these kids and and then about 10 o'clock i got the call uh that said basically hey, we're going to come get you. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I had I had come uh, to grips with all those things and uh, and not only come to grips, but knew I was very, very fortunate in the jobs that I had uh, have been able to have.
0: For those of us who have never been pursued for a Power 5 head coaching job, and I imagine it was unique in your circumstance because, like you said, that was kind of that was off your radar at that point. Can you explain kind of what that process is like of being you know because i know agents and stuff they work behind the scenes and, and there there are some stuff that goes on with them that you just you're not always going to be fully aware of kind of those conversations but when you realize hey arkansas is a job that i'd love to have and for all the reasons that you've mentioned since then it's so evident that you wanted that job but when did that become apparent in your mind of hey i want this job and this is something that i should absolutely pursue
2: uh, really, the day that they um, that Coach Morris was uh, uh, let go was the day that I uh, uh, wanted the job. You know, Arkansas um, it's it's unique. It's special. The place is special, and I love it here. And I love the state of Arkansas. Even though I didn't, I wasn't raised here. I was raised across the border. Um, you know, I don't know how far it is, maybe 20, 25 miles from the border of Arkansas where Grove is, 75 miles from here, but I've always loved Arkansas. Uh, one of the highlights of my career was when uh, Coach Bielema hired me the first time to be the offensive line coach here at Arkansas, and I'd been the line coach at Oklahoma and North Carolina and Tennessee. i would had some really good jobs, Missouri, Kansas, wherever, but uh I'd had some really good jobs, but it was a thrill to be the O-line coach at Arkansas. So, um, those things, I, I knew I wanted it then, uh, Judy Henry, uh, got involved. I, I, um, Brandon Adams had, had given me Judy, Judy Henry's name and I called her and she wanted to, she was kind enough to represent me. She knew some people on the, on the board of trustees, knew obviously, uh, hunter and and john tag and then i was fortunate enough to get a uh, a phone interview uh with hunter and then uh did a brief interview uh that sunday uh with hunter and and john and and mr cox uh, steve cox and and uh and then we got on the plane and came on back with them so it went really really fast but I knew I wanted the job as soon as it came open. I didn't know if I'd have much of a chance. I didn't know if Hunter would take a uh, shot, you know, a chance on me. Uh, and I and I certainly don't want to let him down, nor John, nor Steve Cox, nor the state of Arkansas.
0: So unique because we always think we have these head coaching jobs figured out and based on a person's background and your background was just so atypical for this. But, you know, at at the same time you were so coveted by so many different coaches who always wanted to bring you on, on their staff. And, you know, I remember seeing that, that you would turn down Nick Saban, a chance to go to Alabama and leave Arkansas and Brett Bieleman's staff, like you were just talking about. I asked Charles Huff what it was like to go into Saban's office and tell him that he was leaving for another job on the flip side, can you explain how you told Saban that you were staying on Brett Bielema's staff at Arkansas?
2: Well, um, most of that between Coach Saban and myself, but I can tell you that um, uh, the reasons were many, but uh, one was I had just gotten to Arkansas, and I had publicly said this was the greatest job at that point in my uh, coaching career. And, uh, so I hadn't been here maybe three or four weeks. Uh, I had called my mother and, uh, had talked to her about it. And then, uh, I got a call back. She must've woke up and couldn't sleep. And she left me a message and it just said, um, I don't know if, how hard you're thinking about this, but I didn't raise a son that would commit to a place and four weeks later leave and uh, she said uh, so I don't think what you were talking about in well you know it's coach Saban it's Alabama all those things has anything to do with those kids and I didn't raise a son that would leave them and so to be honest with you that was the end that was the last straw of, of it I looked at my I looked at Jamie I said well we can put that thought out of our mind, and basically, then I just called Coach Saban and, and told him I wouldn't be able to come down there. But what a what a great coach he is, and a, and a fine man. And I have the ultimate ultimate respect for him and what he's done, not only as a coach but as a man. And and uh, so it certainly wasn't nothing against Alabama or Coach Saban. It was just I had made a commitment to the University of Arkansas, and uh, I just stayed with it
0: mama knows best mama knows best even when it comes to getting recruited by saban i love that i love that your your contract is is such a kind of unique idea from hunter check and it kind of goes against the grain of what's been happening in the sec and i know you're not focused on anything buyout related but you know i'm interested to get your perspective on this because you you have a deal where it says you only get half of your remaining contract if fired with a losing record you'll get 75 percent if you're fired with a winning record i know again your focus isn't on buyout but what are your thoughts on seeing what these buyouts have become in the SEC and seeing, you know, buyouts like Malzon and Muschamp that had become such a, a part of, of the SEC coaching, hiring, and firing process. Just what's kind of your thought as, as someone who has experienced this, has been in those conversations and is now seeing the way that things
2: have played out? Well, those, those men, you know, had track records and, and things that I didn't. Uh, so, you know, obviously, uh, if their agent's able to get them a, a, a big buyout, you know, it takes two people to sign the contract, you know, the guy who's getting it and the guy who's giving it. And uh, so, you know, I I really don't have an opinion on somebody else's contract. Uh, obviously, the money has gotten um, unbelievable um, in our profession. For me, um, you know, I, I always felt like, uh, your money that you earn, you work for it. and uh, But at the same time, there has to be some type of uh, buyout in there so you'll have a little bit of stability where they can't just come in and say, okay, you're fired because so-and-so doesn't like you and and uh, you have no compensation. So I think there's a, uh, a fine line in there. Um, certainly depends on how much – clout you have going into a contract negotiation which I had basically none you know because I didn't have any history of being a head coach other than high school and junior college but at the same time I think if they ever let me go and and I get half of my contract and those things well uh, I think think that I think that suffice I think that's fair and uh, that but that's certainly not the plan uh, my plan is one of these days, I'll retire uh, whenever I want. That's 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 the plan that, that I'm going on.
0: One of the things after you signed that contract that everybody was kind of looking to see, all right, this is an important step, is the staff that you were able to build. And you passed so many of those tests, bringing in somebody like Barry Odom from the jump. That seemed like such a home run move. And I know that, you know, talking to Arkansas fans and like going on Arkansas radio during the season, their biggest concern is you're, as you're winning these games and you're surpassing expectations is, oh, well, what's, you know, is Barry Odom going to leave? Is Sam Pittman going to be able to keep him on board? How have you been able to to make sure that he's in the, this, this perfect atmosphere for him to be able to kind of tap into what he does best after the way that things played out at Mizzou? You
2: know, I, I think I get a lot of credit for keeping Barry here, but I, I really don't deserve that. Um, you know, the money was so different in the last two years of what we were we were paying him and what he was offered. And as anybody, you know, I know it's a lot of money. I get all that. But I, I want to say this, that Barry has stayed here the past two years for a significant amount of money, less. Than what he could have made if he left um, mm. now part of that's because the man Barry owed him is part of that's because of our friendship and his belief in in Arkansas um, and part of it is uh, our administration you know it took 15 minutes for the administration to uh, get his contract uh, what what Barry was comfortable with uh, this past time and the time before uh, it was it was a walk in the indoor with myself, Hunter and him. So um, you have to give the, the university credit because they're going, Hey, we know he's valuable to us and, and uh, let's get it done. And, and in those situations, you don't have time. You can't say, well, let's get it done in two or three days. The guy's going to, you know, he might be gone. I don't, I don't see Barry leaving here uh, unless he gets a fine head coaching job. And otherwise than that, I think he'll, He's very happy and, and very content with what he's doing here. As long as you know the finances aren't that much different between here and another university, he's going to get a job offer to him every single year, and probably more than one. And so are some other coaches on our staff. And, and the, the universities uh, certainly been good to me in the fact that uh, the question is, do you want them? Do you want them to stay? And if the answer is yes, um, then they've been very, very good. of of matching dollars uh, for other schools or other opportunities for my coaches.
0: Guy that Barry, I'm sure, learned to appreciate big time this past year. Grant Morgan, what's a uh, what's a Grant Morgan story that we don't know that we should?
2: Man, I don't, I don't. You know, the kid. I'm not gonna say he's boring, uh, but he's a guy that comes to work. He works his butt off. He's a great leader. Uh, you know, he's very, very intelligent. Um, and he sat down in front of me with his father, and, and uh, I went over the details of what his draft might look like this year. And, and uh, then they walked out and decided what he wanted to do. But he's the guy that uh, wants to please. I mean, he wants to please everybody. Uh, he's Arkansas uh, to me. He's, he's true and true Arkansas. He's a blue-collar Hardworking, great person that knows that work is how he's going to earn his living. Work is what's going to earn his accolades, and he's—he's uh, he's, to me—he's—he's he's he's Arkansas, not just a Razorback. To me, he's the state of Arkansas. And
0: on the other side of the ball, a guy who's pure Arkansas. I mean, I'll never forget. Traylon Burks hunts hogs with a knife. That line from Cole Kubelik is one of the best things I've ever heard on a broadcast. I mean, through and through, that guy is you know, born and raised. And for my money, best returning receiver in the SEC. I loved how he was used in Kendall Bryle's offense year one, lining him up in the slot the way that you guys did. What are NFL scouts going to think of that guy when he's ready for that?
2: I right, think they're going to love him, uh, just like we do. You know, I think he's, he's in the best shape of his life right now. Um, uh, obviously, uh, uh, we, we think a lot of him, uh, he's, he sent me some of those videos. Now it ain't the, to the kill of the hog, but you know, it's the dogs are on the hog and he got big Brutus waiting to go, go jump on the top of the hog. And after that, I, I, you know, he, he cuts the video off, but I said, now look now there ain't no fingers, no legs, no toes no arms, no nothing, going close to uh, Razorbacks. He laughs every single time. Or not Razorbacks, but uh, uh, Hogs. And uh, I guess they are. I don't know what they are. I know this. I wouldn't go. I, he said, well, come with me, Coach. I said, hell no. I ain't going to go do that. <laughs> but Because I can't move fast enough. Now, he can't. He can move. He can shift them. He can, he can get out of the way. He can run over them if he needs to. But I, I can't do that, so I'm I'm gonna pass on that hog hunting with him, but he's such a wonderful person, just a really, really good person. And Bo Embry, you know, he was so well coached out of high school. And of course, we got Marcus Miller time here, too, and and uh, and his knees getting better as well. But Burks is a is a champion in a lot of ways. Great, great person. You know, when we uh, were able to talk to the kids in grade schools and stuff like that, he he went in and. Did such a wonderful job, and he's going to be one that gives back to the state uh, no matter how big and no matter how um, many accolades that he gets. Uh, Just a really fine, fine person.
0: I'm interested in in Felipe and and what your impressions of him were when he got to Arkansas, maybe during that recruiting process when he decides he wants to be a grad transfer versus when he leaves. because. You saw him in some tough moments where you were on that other sideline with Georgia and you kind of see this guy who's, who, who struggled on that stage, but you knew that the potential was there. How did your perception of him shift in that time from when you're recruiting him to when he's leaving? And obviously, you now appreciate him so much for what he was able to do for you guys.
2: I think the biggest thing about Felipe was how, uh, I don't know what the word is, but meek, mild uh, personality, uh, very, I'm not shy, but non-talkative, uh, you know, business-like approach. Um, you know, when I saw him, you know, on the other side of the field, you know, there was, you know, arrogance and things of that nature. And I think that comes out as a quarterback. I, I get that, but you know, the guy won a new year's day bowl. They won 10 with him starting at quarterback. So I knew he could play and obviously I had seen him, uh, live, um, it was a recruiting deal where I thought he was going to go to Kansas, to be honest with you, and, and then we finally got him here on campus and, and uh, basically left for a day or two and then came back and was a Razorback. What he did, I think the biggest compliment that our team gave him, Connor, is you know, they, they made him a captain without spring ball, so basically workouts from January to March 12th when we left for COVID, and then we came back in the summer and in late June, and or in middle of June, and then by the time the season started, I wanted to name our captains. The kids voted him. And uh, to be honest with you, he's the highest vote-getter on our team. And um, wow. I thought that was such a great compliment for a guy that hadn't done spring ball, not a very talkative guy, but a hard-working kid. And, uh, you know, I think anything in life, you know, we always tell our kids, Look, just go to work. Work your butt off. People will respect you. And if you want to be different than the guy next to you, then make a play. Make a tackle. Intercept the pass. Uh, Get 20 tackles in a game. If you want to be different from your teammates, do that. But everybody's got to go to work. And if everybody will work, everybody will have respect because everybody on the team has value. That's what Felipe Franks did. He earned the respect from his teammates because he he worked his butt off.
0: On a totally different note, you earned my respect when I saw your bulldog Lucy. I am beyond jealous. Can you? I, I need you to do me a favor here. Can you tell my wife why we need to get a bulldog?
2: Because, in my opinion, they're the greatest, sweetest, cutest, uh, maintenance-free. I mean, now. Lucy, Lucy, she's had to go to the vet every now and then, you know. They, they've got a few problems you got to get fixed. But yeah. she's 11 and three months. But they are, to me, they're most adorable. You know how when you're a kid and you can't afford something and your parents say, well, you got a stray, stray dog over here, you know. Love that dog, which I did. But I saw a bulldog in, a, in a, one of the pet stores when I was a kid in the window and I wanted that bulldog so bad and I think at the time it was maybe $300 which meant if it was over $3 we weren't getting it which is fine but I wanted that bulldog so my first one I got had had uh, four legs but the back one didn't work and Aww. so that was 75 the next one was had been uh neutered or what's what's yeah neutered it was, it was old Walter and uh so they, they the people getting rid of it. He cost me a hundred, and then the next one I got at Oklahoma. Her, she was Pauline, and then she passed about. I think she was about nine, and then we got Big Lucy, and Lucy's eleven, and uh, they're the greatest pets of all time. And I know a lot of people got great pets. I'm not I'm not here to say bulldogs are number one. They are number one in the Pitman household, though. <laughs>
0: When you were at Georgia, did anyone ever accuse you of stealing Ugga? Because I definitely would have been dumb enough to say something like that.
2: Ah, no, we already had ours. But I'm gonna tell you something. I did want to pet Ugga. and Uga, it was easy because Uga come, in up that uh, on the plane, come right up in the middle of the plane and setting about row number twenty three. The owner and Ugga just propped up right there and in row twenty three of the plane and. Uga, Uga, I'm shocked Ugga wasn't in first class, but um, no, that was such a beautiful bulldog, and of course they've had several of them over there, and uh, that dog was treated like royalty.
0: You you called out Mizzou for faking injuries, and you're not the first coach or the last to call out a team for, for doing that, but just the problem in general. In the sport, I know it seems like it. it we talk about it every offseason and nothing really ever gets done. How can we fix this problem?
2: Well, Connor, I didn't call him out. I just – somebody asked me a question. I just gave my opinion of it. But, but uh, you know, because uh, I'm really not that kind of coach. But anyway, um, I don't know how you're going to change that one because the bottom line is I don't think the officials want to call it because what if they're wrong? You know what I'm saying? And – And I think it's just going to be something about the integrity of, you know, uh, the coaching of the flop. And, you know, we're going to get it quite a bit because we play the up-tempo offense. It's not just, Connor, it's not just the 30 seconds or the 45 seconds that's young man's down. It's if it goes more than 30, then you go to commercial, which normally is about three minutes, three, three and a half, two and a half in that area. So now the, The the opponent's defense. Not only do they get the thirty seconds, they get the other two and a half. So it's more like a three-minute break to to uh, to get the wind back, get watered up, all those things. And you can look at it as we do too. But the bottom line is that's how we practice. So we get stronger as those drives go, in my opinion. So I don't know exactly. I do. I will say this: the NCAA is certainly looking into that, and. uh, we've got to do a better job probably at, at coaching it and uh, not coaching it, however you want to say it. And uh, because that's, that's, and I think every coach will tell you that's that's not uh, what the integrity of the game's about.
0: Well, you don't, I, I misspoke. You don't have to worry about calling people out because I'll just do that on Twitter. I'll be the person that rewinds uh, the game and I'll, I'll make sure that I always, I always get that so you don't have to worry about any of that. Um, in terms of offensive line play, how, how quick do you know if a kid has that mean streak? Is that something that you can tell right away or is it something because I always felt like that position's so much different to evaluate than like whether or not a guy can get bigger, stronger, faster? Like how quick can you tell all right, he's going to be able to play at this level and there's not necessarily going to be that same sort of learning curve that's that's going to come with some of those other guys?
2: You know, I've missed on my own share of alignment. I have. But very rarely, very rarely do you miss if you have a certain group of drills and you have the guy for just you and him for a 30-minute period. I can tell uh, a lot of the kids within the first five minutes if I'm going to offer him or not. Uh, Some of them take a little longer, and then if it takes much longer, than that, then what you're doing is you like the kid and you're trying to force a scholarship. Um, Mm -hmm. So usually somewhere in the first five to the first 20 minutes, I'm positive whether or not, whether or not, yes, we want him, he's an all-star, or no, uh, he's not going to be good enough to play here. And then if it goes longer than that, you're trying to press him because you like him or because of his length or because of his size, you're trying to press something that what you don't really believe is there. So if it takes much more than 20 minutes to figure it all out, if you're working him out, and I'm not talking in a group. I'm just saying you and him, if you're working him out, if it takes much longer than that, you probably ought to move on to the next guy.
0: I want to ask you to pick among the guys that you've recruited and coached and whatnot but the best offensive lineman that you've ever looked at on the field and said to yourself that that dude just absolutely has it who's who's that guy for you that stands out
2: there was a guy when I was at when I was at North Carolina a kid named cooper and John Cooper came in and he worked out and he did that about about 20 minutes and I, I thought he was as good a Football players I'd ever seen. James Hurst came in the next year, um, and I felt the same way in him. But I didn't. I didn't think he was quite as talented as, as Cooper was. And uh, then you you go back to uh, the works at workouts of Isaiah Wilson and and Andrew Thomas, and and you know obviously on the field, one of the best players I've ever coached was Isaiah Wynn and and Frank Ragnow and and the Jawan James and James Stone. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I've been very, very fortunate. But, you know, I've had seven first-rounders, and not every one of them were always the best workout guy. But there was no question that they were going to be a great player. It's just what made them different was their their work ethic and, and their weight room and their desire to win and their desire to be the best. So, but, I, you know... I think I've been in the mid twenties of drafts and seven first rounders and, and I've been really, really fortunate. And you can't do that with, you know, you can't win the Derby on a mule You know, you, you've got to go get the good players. And I've been very fortunate to get credit for a lot of guys getting drafted that I really didn't have a whole lot to deal do with, you know, Frank Ragnar probably going to be a first rounder, no matter who coached him. And, uh, He's all pro this year, so that was awful, awful great for him to do. And he came in here and saw me last week. It was good to see him.
0: Sam, I'll get you out of here on these these five rapid fire questions. Um, first one, just first thing that comes to mind, and uh, and we'll just we'll just go from there. Favorite thing playing on the jukebox these days. Uh. Luke, uh. Luke Combs. Oh, good answer, good answer. Um, have you golfed with John Daly yet?
2: I have not, but I want to. i got the jacket for him
0: I know, I saw that. That is fire. That is fire. I don't know if you show up to the to the tee box wearing that, but, I mean, goodness gracious, that'd be hard not to.
2: <laughs> Daly loves the hogs, man. Loves the hogs.
0: He does. He absolutely does. Better vertical, you or Kirby Smart?
2: Oh, Kirby, by three times. I mean, Kirby Kirby's got a better vert than half the team at Georgia. Kirby Kirby can still go now.
0: I I don't think you're you're making any of that up. I you are absolutely right. That vertical is absolutely insane. Um, I just wanted you to compliment his vertical. Um, uh, best <laughs> meal that what's the best meal that you've ever had on a recruiting visit?
2: Uh, well, you you talking about what was the meal? Or, yeah or, so how about at a,
0: at a player's house like you know eating eating somewhere not like at a oh,
2: oh, 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 oh man i've had a bunch of them but um uh, one of them was just a uh, big old fat uh pork chop, boat in with some mashed potatoes and greg and green beans a little bit of corn and a salad and a wedge salad wedge salad's Cool. Man, it's underrated to me. I love a wedge salad, even though I don't look like I eat much lettuce, but a wedge salad is a little underrated. That was, that was the time of my life that night. <laughs> sort of a... And by, uh, the, and by the way, pecan pie was on, on deck, so that even made it better. Oh, that's a meal. That is a meal.
0: Um, so this is sort of a question, but it's more of a two-part request. First, I was hoping that you could grade me doing your trademark here. Is is that all right with you? Are you willing to do that? That's fine. Alright, I'll give it a shot. Eeezer. Yes, How was that?
2: It was uh I don't know what's it go to F? D minus. I mean D minus, got that's I love, I love you, Connor. I love you. Let's get that out on but you gotta go you Yeah it's got a it's got a crescendo and the yeah it's got to go low and the 3rd has got to go a long way you know what i'm still hard on let's go c plus
0: c plus i'll take that i always took that in school i will gladly take it from from the master himself i was gonna ask you to do it but then you just did it anyways that's goodness gracious that was that was fantastic we're definitely gonna have to cut that (laughs) clip up and use that for like every intro i have no problem with that um sam this has been it's been great really really appreciate the time we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do this again i cannot wait to see what's ahead in year two best of luck and we'll talk soon all
2: right go hogs baby thank you
0: (laughs) there we go thank you take care I'm pretty sure that someone in the Facebook group suggested this in 4th and Wrong a while back. So I figured that it would work for this as well. We're talking SEC coaches as guys at the gym. Will, what's the gym slash workout situation for you these days?
1: So I got a house right before pandemic, luckily enough. and Sick I've just been slowly like squirreling away workout gear. So now I have like a cage. I have like some freeways. That was like for Christmas, man, I was just like, do not get me anything but weights. Like, just tell me what it is. I'm going to write it down in a spreadsheet. And so I like cleaned up for Christmas. So now me and John, um, the dude who does video work with me, he like, we work out like three or four times a week at like 7am and just go hit the weights. So yeah, it's been fun.
0: Yeah. It's nice to be able to have that luxury. And I I've appreciated that a lot as well during this whole thing where it's like, I don't want to go to the gym right now. I haven't been in the gym in like a year, but like you said, when you have that space now, like with with having a house, it's nice if you can kind of load up on some of the free weights and you can kind of mix up some of your workouts. So I, I'm in probably a really similar spot to what you're doing. I've picked up some of the running a little bit more as well, but I do miss certain elements of the gym. And I think that it's kind of weird to think about a time in which that was just part of the routine. You just go to the gym, spend an hour there on a given day, and you know that's just that's just what you would do. You know, six days a week is is pretty much what we're, what I was doing before, but Bring all of this up because I'd like to talk about some SEC coaches as guys at the gym. All the SEC coaches as guys at the gym. So Nick Seder, Joe Cardio Guy. <laughs> it's the elliptical, it's the treadmill, maybe a little stair climber. Joe Cardio doesn't even look at the weights. He's not shooting for PRs. He's just there. He's doing his time. Maybe an auto audio book, probably not. Um, if it's not part of his routine, he's not doing it. Sweat minimal, just like his presence. You've seen Joe Cardio at your gym a thousand times, and you've never heard his voice. That's the way he likes it. That's the way he's going to stick to it. Sam Pittman.
1: Now, hold on. I would say Saban for sure, though, is a TV changer. I feel like he's a guy who picks Ooh. his one thing, and his TV, that's his TV, and it's on whatever he's into. And if you change it from CNN to Fox or to the Golf Channel, he's, he's talking to somebody.
0: That's a good point. And and I don't think Saban goes works out and watches the weather channel at the same time. I don't think those two things mix. And Saban hasn't been an at-the-gym guy in a conventional sense. And I realize that most of these guys, like they have, you know, they have their own workout facilities and they do all that stuff. But if they were just going to your local gym Right. This is who they would be. Saban, absolutely is that guy. Like, you don't change. He is the alpha in the room when it comes to that remote at the TV that's going to be directly. Like, he, he, he picks his machine so that he can be right in front of the TV at the best possible spot. And he's not going to deviate from that. If somebody's on his machine, boy, that's not good. That's not good. He's going to find a way to get you off of it. Sam Pittman, he's the hype guy. You never show up to the gym and ask, hey, where's Sam? You know where he is. He's over at the powerlifting stations. Maybe he gets in the occasional rep of his own. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he knows the people he's yelling at. Maybe he doesn't. What does he definitely know? He knows how to get you to stop being a child and finish that last rep. Don't, however, confuse Hype Man with The Screamer. Those are two totally different people. The Screamer is doing their own reps and they're yelling it out when they're trying to get every ounce of energy that they have out. Sam Pittman's not that guy. He's the hype guy. The hype guy can get a little bit loud, but depending on the space, I think sometimes it just kind of fits. He's never really programmed himself out of that football mindset. He would go into a regular like commercial gym and make a lot of noise, some of which, you know, sometimes you pick up on some of that. You're like, all right, I do need to finish this last rep. And it's helpful. So Sam Pittman's not, definitely not the worst guy at the gym. He's a big do one rep of deadlift guy.
1: He's like the low, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the 400 pounds, do one rep kind of like scream a little bit and then just unload it and get out of the way
0: one rep deadlift guy is 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 one of those people that just has so much time in their hands too where if you're logging like 10 minutes between sets i really want to see kind of what your day breaks down to because if you have a job that's flexible with hours maybe that's that's you maybe you're and maybe you're not necessarily in a relationship, hence the deadlifts, hence being at the gym to be able to try and build up your figure. I don't know, but I've seen that guy and it blows me away sometimes when I think about some of their time management. And I think way too much about it, but that one one rep deadlift guy gets in six or seven reps in an hour's time. And that's just like the least efficient thing I've ever seen. Brian Harson, he's CrossFit guy. I'm like, and Will, you spent some time in Orlando, so... I mean, you might be able to back me up on this. I'm like 85% sure that there's a local billboard in Orlando that has Harson on it for CrossFit. I, it's, it's like, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure that it's him half smiling, half flexing. You know the post. You know that that CrossFit guy, he tells the photographer all about CrossFit. You know that CrossFit guy, he thought about CrossFit the entire time during the photo shoot about CrossFit guy. He was late to it though. CrossFit guy hasn't been doing it for like five years or anything like that. CrossFit guy was just looking for a way to kind of mix things up, wants to do a little competition. Now he's all about the PRs, the tribal tattoos without meaning, and he's looking down on every workout that isn't CrossFit. Don't get it twisted. CrossFit guy is probably in the best shape of anyone or close to it. Just do not, whatever you do, end up in the same room as CrossFit guy. Will, do you have you ever been CrossFit guy? Man, so
1: I did CrossFit for, I want to say six, eight months, I was, it was not for me, um, because I'm like, I'm a I'm a heavy guy. You know me. I don't really like being fit. Uh, <laughs> so that was tough, because everyone's so alpha at a CrossFit gym that, like, if they see you lifting kind of heavy, they almost try to get back at you. And, like, I, I felt mm. that in my gym, because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to aggressively do a mile run. And it's like, all right, man. And so, yeah, I'm just up to myself but yeah it was too much it was too much to do heavy and then do cardio and at the end i was just like i want to die like this isn't fun
0: do you, did you go to some abandoned warehouse pretty much where all crossfit takes place now
1: yeah yeah okay
0: you're, you're <laughs> a crossfit guy for a little bit i'm not bad but but that's probably only why you only did it for six to eight months And i'm not shaming people that that do crossfit because you know what it might speak to your lifestyle but you know just not for everyone and we don't need to hear about it constantly dan mullen he is painful to watch him squat guy. This is usually exclusive to guys who are like six feet and above. They hit the squat rack, so they're at least willing to do leg day. I'm going to give them credit for that. But it looks like hell. When they reach that quarter squat, their knees start buckling. And that's, that's when they're like, nah, I'm done with this. And then they go and they rack it up. It doesn't matter if it's just the barbell or they got like two plates on. It's the same thing every single time. And I'm not shaming those who squat. Again, I give those people so much credit compared to the people that don't, and that just say leg day sucks. At least those people are, are are acknowledging that the femur is the strongest bone in the body. Squatting is also one of those things that where you're kind of on display, so it's a little bit awkward to do it sometimes in public. So sometimes people don't want to because it kind of causes a lot of attention. I'm not even fully gonna shame the quarter squat Um, because if that's the main objective, then at least you're getting something out of it. A lot of athletes do that. They do that during the season as well. And I've worked out with a trainer wherein that was the functional goal. And he's like, we we are doing quarter squats. You're going to have a pause at the bottom of the rep, and then you're going to go back up. The problem is that painful to watch him squat guy. Isn't that he's squatting because he knows that he should, and he keeps adding the weight on because that's just like what you do, but he's not getting anything out of the workout. Hence why it doesn't look any different and his knees are buckling every time. And yes, I realize five, nine guys like myself have an easier time squatting, but that guy is really, really tough to look at. Will, I, I know you're, you're all about the power lifts, but you know, you when I said that you had a person in mind of, man, this is, this is just brutal to watch you attempt this lift
1: yeah no you're right because like these like the people that do that it's literally more of a build thing like dude i'm sure that's been me before i'm really bow-legged but it's like yeah like you just some people aren't built to do every lift and you got to kind of know that about yourself
0: you do you do gotta know your limitations or at least be willing to like not compromise the form of the lift but whatever the squat rant is is over i've 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 definitely done one too many views of twitter videos wherein I look at a football facility and they have like a million guys surrounding the dude who's attempting to squat 600 pounds. And it's like, Oh, I can't even see if he did an actual full rep. Cool. Great. Kirby smart. He is the hardo on the treadmill guy. It's all gas. Some breaks. Kirby is the polar opposite of Joe cardio. Ironically enough, he sprints on the treadmill, which makes Joe cardio look like he's basically walking. Maybe it's like a quarter mile on two minutes off. Then it's time to sprint again. He's at the gym to show everyone that he's still got it. Now, we've seen Kirby sprinting at the beach before. We've seen him sprint away from that Gatorade cooler. Everybody remembers what he did in the beach bowl. It was pretty impressive. He's basically getting like a bunch of anaerobic workouts in. Bless the heart of the dude who pulls up next to him. It's brutal. The heart on the treadmill is avoided at all costs. He's loud. He is impossible not to look at. And the entire time that you're doing your workout, you wonder what his workout is. The good news though... Is that he's there for like twenty minutes and then he's gone? So that it could be much, much worse. There are guys on this list that are far worse than the, hard, than the hardo on the treadmill.
1: Kirby is the, in, on the row of cardio machines behind Nick Saban, and he's like looking mm. over his shoulder, trying to get him to notice him. And Nick Saban just couldn't be less interested. Like he's just dialed into the Weather Channel, hearing like Kirby thundering behind him, and just like yep. give me a break. Like when's this guy gonna get out of here?
0: Just what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Mark Stoops, he's bench day guy. There are certain yep. people who, like you talk about, they go to the gym, they stick with what works, and that's totally fine. They're there to improve on the areas that are already strong. It's not about a full body workout. They park out at one specific area in the gym, and that's the workout for the day. Bench day guy is at the bench station for an hour minimum. Breaks in between sets, they're, they're long. They're usually a good amount of time. They're not worried about getting their heart rate up. They're gonna stick to what they do best. And that is throwing a couple plates on and getting after it bench day guy only needs a spot when he's ready to go like super super low rep he finds like a random guy in the gym and he's like hey i'm trying to get 275 up three times it's more of a sick brag than like the guy actually needing help because bench day guy usually can take care of it Um, and in case you were wondering bench day guy doesn't have to be a chest bouncer i know that there are some people wondering about that the chest bouncer that guy is that guy is is up there with the hard to watch them squat, per, the hard to watch them squat guy as well. Uh, he can be a chest balancer, but it's not required. I don't think Stoops is that guy. I don't think Stoops is bouncing off the chest. Just a barrel chested guy who wants to get after it and see how much he can still put up. You're gonna like this one. You're gonna like this one a lot. Cocho, most obvious one. He's the power lift guy. Power lift guy starts with some light cardio. We've seen Cocho do just that. Remember, I mean he he's he glistens in the sun. Let's let's make no mistake about it. You could confuse his pace for Joe Cardio. The only difference is that he's built like a brick house, and that's of course just the warm-up. Then of course, after that, it's time for the power lifts, deadlifts, squats, bench, maybe some cleans, depending on how agile he is. Maybe a guy at Coach O's age not doing all that stuff. But he is the single most intimidating guy at the gym. This is the guy who makes you feel like you're a child. You don't compete with power lift guy. You just find yourself looking over in amazement. You wonder how you're the same species as him. Powerlift guy, powerlift guy doesn't break a sweat. He doesn't. His plates make more noise than he does too. You have that moment where you see how much he benches and you're like, oh cool, he's doing my max. And then you realize that he's just doing like 20 reps of that to start. No clips, definitely no clips. He's never putting any of those clips on the barbell. Those are unnecessary. He's got this thing under control. Powerlift guy is at the gym for a minimum of two hours. There's there, there's not like one of this half hour thing. I'm going to show up. No, I'm here to put in my work. I'm going to do in my time. I'm actually going to get something out of this. Powerlift guy is respected. Probably the most alpha person in the gym. Is that a fair thing to say?
1: Oh, yeah. And and, and the tandem you got to worry about is like a Cocho and a Sam Pittman. Because the mm. Sam Pittman guy. So, so yep. Sam Pittman and um, Stoops. Are covered in chalk, okay? Yep. Cocho, no chalk, no clips, just getting it. And when those guys, like, when they look the scariest, is when they have a hype man. So if you get a Pitman and a Cocho together, it's like I just got to move to the other side of the gym, man. I don't even want to be over there.
0: You're, yeah. We're not built for that. We're not built for that. There are very, very few human beings who can, who can really pull off that look and, and get it to work for them. Cocho is one of them. Eli Drinkwitz, he's I got it guy. I got a guy is always on the brink of dropping the bar on his chest, or maybe he's about to topple over at the squat rack. He's struggling to the point where you feel like you should go in there and help, but he gives max effort and then somehow is able to power through it. He doesn't want to be a burden. He just wants to show that he belongs. And even if he doesn't really look like it, he just wants to show that he's, he should be there. He has no problem doing this weight. That's Eli Wood's in a nutshell. That's basically been his attitude as a head coach. I got it guy looks like he's always in over his head yet. He kind of just finds a way to get it done. Don't you dare spot. I got it guy. If he doesn't ask for it, he is pushing it to failure every single time. So that's Eli Drinkowitz. Mike Leach. He is naked in the sauna. (laughs) Guy.
1: I was going to say, I don't think he goes to the gym, but no, you nailed that. He's absolutely
0: naked in the sauna. He's, he's not going to the gym for the full body workout that we know. Maybe, maybe he gets in some light like, cardio on that, you know, the seated bike machine, where mm-hmm. you, you basically just get to like sit back and chill and pretend like you're, you know, riding a bike the same sort of way, even though you're definitely not. He's he's about getting that sweat in, and no, he doesn't mind being naked that much. We know he's there to get in a good schvitz. He likes being able to think in there. It doesn't matter if he's alone or if there's people around. He's naked, he's dominating that sauna. He's the alpha in the room. If there are people around, great, they're gonna hear some wild stuff. It's conspiracy theories. You don't engage naked guy in the sauna though. He engages himself. And when he asks you a question, there's like a 0% chance that he stays on topic. Leach's post sauna locker room walk, never ever gonna have a towel. Don't don't bother, just keep your eyes up. You're gonna walk right past that guy. He is way too comfortable in his own skin. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that naked guy in the sauna, big time nude beach guy also. that That is two boxes that they are definitely checking. They are two of the same. Who cares though? I mean, we're all just human beings. We're just doing this crazy thing called life. So what if he wants to be naked? So that's Mike Leach.
1: And he's he's for sure the guy that like, you're the sauna if you've ever like been in one, you got like your EDM on, you're just like kind of in your little space and he's gonna mm-hmm. ask you about a world event, like something, it's either gonna be like, yeah, like a conspiracy theory or it's gonna be like, yeah, have you heard about this new trade deal that Norway just engaged in? And you're just like, I don't wanna sound dumb, but I have no idea what he's talking about. So you're like, yeah, man, of course, yeah. And then you just kind of listen to him.
0: And then for, you know, the next like five, 10 minutes, you wonder, how do I get out of this? Just. <laughs> give me any possible way to get out of this. He doesn't give you those outs in the conversation either, which is really difficult. Lane Kiffin. Lane is a yoga guy. Now I know that that's gonna surprise some people when I say that. I know where some people probably wanted me to go with this one because you're thinking, oh, he's the creepy guy who hits on girls. The old waits for dates guy, the old curls for the girls guy. I actually don't really see that person in the wild. Maybe I just don't look for this person. Will, is that a real thing?
1: I, I'm not a woman, obviously. I'm, I'm sure it happens all the time. I just, when I see someone who's creepy, like most people do, gravitate away from them. So, yeah, I don't see many.
0: Maybe I'm just not watching the people who are watching other people. That's my problem. Right. And I'm not in that camp. Like, obviously, if we're, if we're talking to a woman here who's been hit on at the gym before, then that's a totally different scenario. But... I don't think that Lane is at that point in his life anymore. I think he's past it. I think he's a lot more introspective now. And I think it's all about finding his chi. I could totally see him saying that. And he literally does yoga. He was doing yoga during the Taiwan Malone commitment. The fact that yoga is also a female-dominated activity totally doesn't impact Lane at all. He just shows up there and he's got his yoga mat and he's ready to go every single time. Shane Beamer. I'm sorry, I keep to you. I would say that
1: I think he is also the guy who knows everybody in the locker room guy. Like mm-hmm. he's the guy who'll spend like a good thirty minutes in the locker room, knows where everybody works, knows where everybody's like, hey man, how's that deal going? Like da da da. And like those are the people that are always like kinda nice to have around because it's like, you know, locker rooms can get kinda awkward, but if there's like one Lane Kiffin in there who just kinda like connects everyone, it's a good good uh, role player to have.
0: Okay, there's I like that you bring that up because role player is different than someone I'm gonna get to in a minute here. And that person is actually tolerated where the, the person I'm going to get to in a little bit isn't nearly as tolerated, but they think they're doing that and they're not. Okay. Shane Beamer is circuit guy. <laughs> For what it's worth, I have been circuit guy a lot. And I actually sort of hated being this guy at the gym. And I this is the thing that I don't really miss. It's the guy who's taking up roughly four different things at the same time. You're doing leg press, shoulder press machine. You're doing some walking lunges. You're doing all of it at the same time. And when someone gets on one of those machines and your circuit is ruined, you have circuit guy has one of two choices. He either does the, oh, I've got a couple more minutes on that. Or, oh, let me wipe that down for you. I've been both. And it depends on my mood. Shane Beamer comes off as that guy. He's sort of been bullied out of three staff members by Auburn. I'm just going to say it. Um, Shane Beamer's not going to the gym to become an incredible Hulk. He's not about mass. He wants efficient workouts. He doesn't have the time. He's got to keep his heart rate up. He wants to stay in shape. He's got kids. So I think that's kind of who he fits into more so because I was thinking about this for a while. But if you're still doing it, you can still do the circuits You know, when you're on the wrong side of 40. It's a lot more sustainable. It's super efficient. There's a lot of benefits. But I definitely see Shane Beamer being in those situations of, oh wait, do I tell this person that I still wanted to work out there or do I just clean it up and pretend like I was done? This is the hardest one. The hardest one. And I, I don't want this to come off as offensive because that's not my intent. Oh no. But Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel has just started with a personal trainer guy. It's not necessarily New Year's resolution guy. It you know it, He's the guy who just started with a personal trainer And, but he's not necessarily a first time lifter, but it's like, Hey, I'm trying to get back to my former self. Have you seen the pictures of Josh Heupel at Oklahoma recently? And then done like a little bit of a side by side and seeing who he was at Oklahoma compared to what he is now at Tennessee. Dude was a stud. I'm just going to say it. He had the frosted tips. He looked exactly like what you would expect a quarterback to look like in the early 2000s. You know that he wore jeans that were four sizes too big. He had the puka shells. He had it going on. He was like oh, yeah. this you know, big man on campus. He is. He was that guy. Hypel, though, went through what's very common. It's a dad bod transformation. There's nothing wrong with that. His workouts are now limited to you know, bike rides with the kids. Maybe he gets away to play golf once a month. Maybe he goes on walks with the wife, does some yard work around the house, but it's not necessarily a mainstream part of his life. But now he's like, hey, I want to get back to my former self. And you can tell that he knows how to do the lifts. That's not the issue. It's just going at a, at a much slower pace than he did before. Maybe he starts off on the machines, But he's always out of breath, and he's like, oh, man, he makes some reference about how out of shape he is, and I haven't worked out like this in years, blah, blah, blah. I applaud this guy, though. I really do, because they're acknowledging, look, my priorities, they've been different for the last 15 years, and now I'm ready to get back at it. So I applaud the just-started-with-a-personal-trainer guy. Have you ever done the personal training thing? Have we talked about that before?
1: Personal trainer? I did... um kind of in Orlando the gym that I went to was an MMA gym and so it was like guided classes i never really had like a one-on-one personal trainer but like I'm I'm much better like in those type of environments than just like an open gym
0: yeah the personal trainer thing is it actually I feel like it really does kind of provide that extra bit of motivation because when you have someone who's who knows the reps and can actually watch you perform the entire time and you're not looking in the gym or you know looking at the mirror in the gym or anything like that I think it makes all the difference and I I I applaud anybody who wants to pursue that because more times than not, if you go with a personal trainer and you just tell them, all right, basically destroy me for the next hour, you get something out of it. And it's not an easy thing to do. So I applaud anyone who wants to do that. Jimbo Fisher. All right. I told you before, there's a difference between the role that Lane Kiffin plays in the locker room, the sort of glue guy in the locker room. The social butterfly guy just never stops talking. The day's workout is the second priority. The first priority, it's having a stop and chat with everyone. Will, you know that I, I can't stand this guy because to me, this guy is who I avoid at all costs. He's everywhere. More times than not, he's talking at you, not with you. He thinks he's just being nice, but at the root of it is he just likes to hear himself talk. And the worst thing is that he doesn't take a hint. There's no way to get out of a conversation with him. And then if you see him again, 15 minutes later, he'll just pick up the combo right where you left off. He makes me so uncomfortable because I'm worried about where he is at all times. And instead of thinking about my workout, I'm just thinking about avoiding this guy. And you realize that they've got all the time in the world and they just don't abide by a set schedule like you do. They're just there to shoot the you know what. You have a, do- a totally different impression of this guy. Well, is that? Is that your way of saying that you are this guy?
1: Uh, no, I'm not this guy. I don't talk to nearly anyone in the gym. Uh, <laughs> if it's an open gym, sometimes I'll hype people up if I feel like they're struggling, but I'm like very rarely am I like, going to struggle up a conversation with somebody.
0: All right, that's good. That's good because this person is, you know, I think they're good. They're good at heart, but I just have a really tough time being in the same room as them. So that's, that's Jimbo because as we know, Jimbo, once he starts talking, it's like, whoa, I have no idea when this is going to stop. Just keeps going. Clark Lee, new vanity coach. We're going to end with this one. This is super specific. He's the no idea how old you are guy. Okay. For those who follow, or maybe you follow him on social media, maybe you read magazines when you're sitting in the dentist's office and you have nothing else to do. Men's health. Clark Lee looks exactly like Bobby Maximus. He's got the shaved head. He's in really good shape. You can Google that. Yeah, Google it right now, kids. I always think to myself, I have no idea how old that guy is. The shaved head, it throws everything off, but I know that they get after it at the gym. I know that they have perfect form with all their lifts. They lift better than dudes who might be half their age. And I have no the, the no idea how old you are guy defies age. Like they're probably going to look exactly the same in 10 years. In fact, I, I think they're the person I find myself most envious of at the gym, not even the power lifter. But this person, because they crush core training, they might have lost their hair, but they didn't lose their six their six pack. They look like the person who hasn't missed a workout in a decade, and that might be the single nicest thing I've ever said about Vandy. Your coach gets after it.
1: Real quick, who do you think is the most likely to give unsolicited lifting advice, like about form and technique and stuff like
0: that? Oh, you know. This is a difficult question to answer because it's, it's not necessarily a matter of like the jerk. It's Sometimes it's the person who's really confident with their lifts that feels like they need to be able to educate because power lift guy is not that person. Right. Power lift guy is probably not going to stoop down to someone of that level. So that, that takes Coach o out of it. I would tend to think Hardo on the treadmill guy is a candidate for it, which is Kirby. I could definitely see Kirby because like, like you brought it before about looking over his shoulder at Joe cardio and he wants to know what's that guy doing? How much is that guy pushing it? I would tend to think that Kirby would be a candidate for that. I would think Dan Mullen would be too. I would think Dan Mullen would be, and he would be the last guy I would want to hear from because in the back of my mind, as he's telling me to do another lift, I'd be like, I watched you squat and it was terrible, but thank you for that information. I really appreciate that because more times than not, and there, there, there are a few exceptions, painful to watch him squat guy. If he's giving out advice, it's not good. It's not good. And, and anybody that's giving out advice, maybe CrossFit guy is a good candidate as well. Brian Harson could be oh, like, hey, true. you actually want to, you know, when you do the snatch, you want to make sure that you're not resting your shoulders too much. You want to make sure that you're, you're not doing that because you're going to throw your neck out if you do that. And you're going to get everything all messed up. CrossFit guy would definitely do that. Who's the first guy that comes to mind for you?
1: Uh, no, I was my, my top two are right there. And I was like, is it weird that I think can barely lift guy is the guy who gives advice, but I feel like mm. I've had a lot of those encounters where I'm just like,
0: all right, guy, like you could just kind of take that back where it, where it came from. That's fine. Just take it back where you can came from. You know, if it's totally different, if I seek that out and I've been in situations like that before, right? Like if rarely do you go to the gym and you're doing a new lift and you actually will look at someone who just finishes up on that machine and say like, Hey, how do you do this? There have been times when I've, I've, You know, I've been, you know, working out, I've worked out casually more so in high school, but I feel like I I know my way around the gym a little bit. There are still times when I'm like, hey, can you show me exactly how I should be doing this? Because I want to actually go there and get the most out of a specific lift. But the problem is that when somebody comes over to you and says, oh, you're actually supposed to be doing this. There was one time, oh, this is a little story for you. There's one time I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the roller machine and I feel very comfortable on the roller machine. I've, I had a little stretch where I like doing that for like 20 minutes at a time. Now, I'm not necessarily the person who's been doing it for 20 years, but I feel very comfortable on it. I've done it with, with my you know, personal trainer back when I was doing sessions and stuff like that before. And I've done it for time, I, you know, I've, I've done it for max output, all those different things. I had this guy who was like, this guy was at least 65. And I had just finished up on the roller machine. And this is the guy who is, he was actually right next to me on the rower machine, but he got up at like the same time that I did. And this guy is like a buck 50 soaking wet. I mean, credit to him. He's at the gym and he's that age, don't get me wrong. I hope to be in the gym at that age, and not have any major ailments preventing me from that. So kudos to him for doing that. This guy comes up to me and he just gives me a full on like five minute lecture about rowing and about why I was doing it wrong specifically and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm giving you the up-down here, and I know you got your shirt tucked into your shorts, and I know that think you're real, you you think that you're getting after it at 65, and you are to a certain extent, but don't explain that to me. Don't explain that to me. Um, I'll, I'll I'll put my information up with any that you have, and I, I I took that as, all right, this guy just wants to pretend that he actually knows what he's doing. He doesn't really. That guy's the worst though. I don't ever want to be around that guy. I don't miss that about the gym. Definitely don't miss that guy. All right. Provide your suggestions. If you have any, let let us know what we forgot. I'm sure we forgot several. Reach out in the Facebook group. Join the Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Um, We've got a lot of things in the works right now. We've actually got a little sticker bonanza that's going to be coming up soon. Um, If you have not, connect to... The, the connect with us on Facebook. You're going to see Saturday non South podcast on Facebook for all the, that information. Probably going to throw it out there on Twitter as well, but we're long overdue for a little sticker bonanza. Next week, we've got a little former SEC quarterback coming up. Interview already recorded. Great stuff. This guy has just such a unique college perspective, um, and he's now in the professional rank, so it's great to be able to catch up with this guy. I think that people are really going to get a kick out of this. Um, but if you have not before leave us a five-star review make sure that you like subscribe rate do all of those things All right, hope you enjoy the conversation with Sam put as well. Thanks guys